Hello students and welcome back to the Lore of the Iron Kingdoms with me, Professor Caster. Today we're going to be discussing the Warcasters of the Protectorate of Meneth. How they locate their gifted, how they train them, and just general information over the Warcasters of this Holy Order of Zealous Warriors. Uh, we are not going over any specific Warcasters, although in the following courses we will start with the most notable Warcasters in the history of the Protectorate, and then we will move on to some of the less known Warcasters and just finish them out from there. But today we're just going to do the overview. Also, before we begin, thank you guys so much for listening, and if you are enjoying this, uh, please like, subscribe, comment, let me know how you're enjoying these, and let your friends and fellow gamers know so we can keep this steam train rolling, and it helps to grow the class size. And another thank you to Privateer Press for letting us read their fantastic lore. Let's begin. Warcasters of the Protectorate. The Protectorate military possesses far greater strength than their numbers alone might suggest, due to a large part to their success at recognizing and fostering warcaster talent. It is no small frustration to their enemy, particularly the Signarans, that the fanatical nation is able to maintain such a strong and diverse retinue of powerful warcasters. For this sole Minite, this is yet another confirmation of the Creator's favor for the Great Crusade and the sole Minite faith. Locating the Gifted Many priests have learned to spot a warcaster's talents among the faithful and see it as a sign of their god's intervention. It seems likely that focused prayer and meditation among both clergy and ranking soldiers opens their minds to the possibility of contact with the cortex. The tremendous force of will required of priests to channel their holy powers reinforces this potential. Many priests, even those who do not possess the warcaster talent, have proven adept at recognizing the power in others before it manifests. Senior war priests who have accompanied warcasters in battle for many years often develop this uncanny ability to sense latent potential. An individual capable of warcasting is rare even among the clergy, but the Protectorate has managed to unearth many such precious jewels from among its population and polish them to readiness. Had they been born in another kingdom, a good number of these individuals would have never had their true potential recognized. It doubtless helps the Protectorate citizens are required to join the war effort whenever asked. Nearly a third of the population serves in garrisons or crusades, which can bring them into close contact with both warjacks and those sensitive to the talent to control them. The Protectorate's final advantage in the discovery of potential warcasters is derived from their unique culture. The priesthood keeps itself frighteningly well informed about the activities of the people. Indeed, no other nation in the Iron Kingdoms polices its citizenry so close. With supernatural manifestations viewed as potential heresy, many parents willingly give up their child who demonstrates unexpected gifts. In the Protectorate, there are sharp divide in attitudes regarding the Warcaster talent, seen as a blessing and raw sorcery, which is considered profane. Discerning between the two sometimes similar talents requires testing and scrutiny, usually conducted by the Scrutator cast. In the past, most of those with the nascent potential for sorcery were put to death. Now, those who harbor the talent for forecasting may instead find themselves placed under the tutelage of a master of the Lyceum. Lyceum? L-Y-C-E-U-M. I'm going to say Lyceum who they are taught to use prayer to discipline their talent. A cast apart. Though the path of a warcaster comes with its own set of challenges and responsibilities, those born with the ability to control warjacks escape many of the hardships thrust upon other gifted individuals living within the border of the Protectorate. 
even though summary execution is no longer the sentence of all profane practitioners of magic, most such individuals are marked and set aside to live under careful surveillance and are never fully trusted. Those deemed controllable and repentant regarding the unholy nature of their power are inducted into the vassals of Meneth, where they work to forge and maintain weapons and warjack-grade cortexes. Many are restrained by chains and shackles to remind them of their very existence as a mercy, and the freedom is a luxury they are not allowed. All adequately pious Minite volunteers who join the vassals are allowed greater freedoms than those who have been forcibly inducted. Those serving in this role still regard their powers with shame. Not so warcasters, whose powers are linked to the same source as that which flows through the ruling priest of the theocracy, the god Meneth. Even for warcasters who are not themselves members of the clergy, their power is still considered divine rather than profane. This theological argument was made explicit soon after the founding of the Protectorate, so its armies could contend with its enemies. As the manifestations of Minot's blessings, a warcaster is to be celebrated rather than disparaged. In a nation where many subsist on minimal food and carve out a living from the harsh landscape as best they can, warcasters rarely want for anything. Their health and well-being are, are a priority of the state through that they are not often given the time to savor or enjoy these benefits. Their place is on the battlefield, especially since the start of the Great Crusade. Those discovered to possess warcaster talents often have their world reshaped overnight, with even the poorest among them being elevated to the highest levels of society. The privileges of a warcaster station can be considerable, including relatively spacious living quarters in the barracks, adequate food, the best arms and armaments protectorate forges can produce, and access to education with priests dedicated to steeping themselves in the canon of the true law. Greater understanding of their faith through these teachings not only grants budding warcasters the spiritual strength and resilience that accompanies a close relationship with Meneth, but also gives them an insight into the way the protectorate is governed by its clergy. It was during the reign of Hierarch Luktine the first to take that title after the formation of the Protectorate, the Theocracy began to exert significant effort to find and train warcasters. The nation's government has experienced a shift since that time as the powerful and highly educated soldiers take up leadership roles both on and off the battlefield. By and large, the general population has met this change with enthusiasm. There are also those who believe it is only right that warcasters should ride to the, rise to the position of importance as Meneth himself chose to bestow their unique gifts upon them. Each is believed to possess a special destiny and have a place awaiting them in Urcane in the City of Man. Responsibilities and Training While they wear no shackles, warcasters of the Protectorate are bound instead by powerful responsibilities and expectations. Though most are grateful for the opportunity to perform the will of the Creator of Man, not all warcasters find their path easy to walk. Their prominent position places tremendous demands upon them, and the price of failure is high. Even those among them who are priests face constraints. The life of pious introspection and tending to a flock is not for them, for their place is upon the field of battle leading soldiers of the faith. Still wary as others within the Protectorate are expected to serve Meneth in specific capacities, Orcasters are afforded great self-determination, provided they do not shirk for their military duties. Regardless of their personal disposition, warcasters are expected to lead on the battlefield and use their powers as burning brand against the heresies of the other nations. 
They must be able to look beyond their martial orders to the needs of the entire theocracy, to command soldiers in the battle, and to answer the commands of the hierarch. The development of a warcaster is as much a matter of martial training as it is of theological indoctrination and purification. All warcasters are taught to channel the magic given to them by the creator, but each possesses unique abilities and affinities. Where areas one warcaster may develop a spell that can protect others from harm or make warjacks more efficient on battlefield, another might manifest the power to destroy the enemies of the protectorate with tempests and all-consuming and cleansing fire. Though warcasters' talents are diverse, some affinities are more common than others. The ability to manifest fire is particularly prevalent, like due to the fact that Minot's gift of flame is ideally suited to wage war against the armies of the heretics. Some theologians within the Protectorate hypothesize that each warcaster represents a specific passage or interpretation of the canon of the true law. Others believe that the warcaster's own understanding of the canon shapes his or her manifestation of the warcaster gifts. I've always been curious why they were granted fire magic so much more often than other, other countries. Hmm. That would explain it. I'm curious what the uh, the allegiance have to say about that. Anyway, moving on. Warcasters who manifest their ability later in life, typically while training with one of the Protectorate's martial orders, usually remain within their order. Otherwise, those who are not already inducted into the military or part of the priesthood may be assigned to a suitable order after their talent is discovered. Receiving a fledgling warcaster into their ranks is viewed as a great boon by most martial orders as it ensures they will have a powerful warrior and advocate by their side. Instructors in Emmer and Soul stand ready to train new warcasters in the fundamentals of the discipline, as well as the general introduction in the skills and duties expected of all protectorate military leaders. Most major monasteries and temples have senior war priests capable of helping new warcasters learn to harness their abilities and integrate them into their fighting discipline. If the prospective warcaster requires more specialized training after this, he is sent to those capable of providing it. Once a junior warcaster is armed with a fundamentals, it is customary for a senior warcaster to be assigned to finalize his training, running him through difficult gauntlets to ensure he is ready for the battlefield. Each warcaster has a different approach to this sort of training, and some, such as the High Execu Executioner Resnick, are especially brutal and unforgiving mentors. Regardless of where the warcaster trains or which martial order they associate with, each must learn how to lead a mixed force. As a vital piece of the nation's military might, warcasters must be able to adapt to a wide range of situations and their ability to work alongside both large and small forces with a variety of troops that have diverse combat roles is a crucial skill. A warcaster might lead a small border patrol compromised of temple flame guards, deliverers, and paladins for a stretch of time before being trusted with a full mixed interdiction of flame guard, knights exemplar, and militia soldiers. This, needs, this need for flexibility extends to a warjack under warcaster's control. Though some warcasters favor certain warjacks, each is expected to eventually become familiar and proficient with a wide range of these machines. During the final phase of training, warcasters travel to the capital of Emmer, where the vassals of Meenith and the Soul Menite artificers work to familiarize them with the warjacks and weapons they will employ in the battles to come. Each martial and spiritual order within the Temple of Meenith's hierarchy has its own initiations and promotion ceremonies. A warcaster who has completed warcaster training will be immediately elevated to the sufficient rank in his order to command the soldiers he is expected to lead. 
but only if he is thought worthy of that responsibility. Given their unique powers and responsibilities, warcasters attain higher ranks quickly, as long as they remain true to their order's code and obedient to the true law. Several martial orders are led by warcasters, who are in turn subordinate to the Synod, the Hierarch, and his appointed intercessors. Indeed, the present Hierarch is also a warcaster, a first in the history of the nation. Some priests have interpreted the rise of Hierarch Severus to this position of authority as proof that the final crusade of their faith are upon them. And we have a little side note here. The Sacred Weaponry Given the standing and importance of a warcaster and ruling priest of the Protectorate's military, it is no wonder that the weapons they carry are singularly potent implements of war. Each of these priceless relics is more than a tool designed to kill. It is also a work of art and a symbol of the station. These arms inspire the faithful even as they strike fear into the hearts of the enemy. Crafting a weapon perfectly suited to the individual fighting style, station, and needs of each warcaster in the purview of Viscas Ark Rezek, the overseer of the Soul Midnight Artificers. Each weapon is a unique, is as unique as the warcaster wielding it, such as the spear just to fire, borne by Grand Exemplar Krios Arfiora's fire-spewing halbert apocalypse. Sacred symbolism illuminates the weapons and is particularly elaborate. On the great staves wielded by the high-ranking priests, each ruling priest has in the possession such a staff which embodies his authority. The minifix, the symbol of men, Minot's greatest creation, is prominently displayed on these staves and other great weapons as a reminder of the god's purpose, scrutiny, and wrath. So, gonna take out a take from all this. The priests are really good at finding their own personal warcasters in their clergy or wherever in their in their people they look over because, as most fully religious societies, they're very good at policing every individual. So. I suppose that makes sense, and at least they actually do have some training, so they weren't burning witches like they usually like to do, or at least what they did back in the day, like most Minas did. But, uh, well, there you go. That's how their training works. That's all we got. I know this is a much shorter video than normal, but we're just going to do it this way, and then next course or next class for them, we're going to start going over each individual warcaster. Well, actually, we're going to group them up between their first, second, and third forms, or if they have more forms, we'll go over those as well. And we'll just break the videos up by warcaster. We'll try to get at least three to four warcasters in per video. So, or three to four different versions of a warcaster in per video. So we'll do it like that. And that does it for today's uh, very short class, because uh, we have to make another video on the Trollbloods Warlocks next. But... Thank you guys so much for listening. If you're still enjoying this, uh, please like, subscribe. Let me know what you think. Let me know if you, you think this Warcaster training is that much different from other Warcaster training. Honestly, I don't think it is. Outside of them adding a lot of religious doctrines into their training purposes, which makes sense since they are a religious faction. Uh, thank you again, Private Your Press, for letting us read you our fantastic lore. And as always, class dismissed.